You can grab your Bibles and flip to Luke chapter 1. If this is your first time here, my name is Justice Frome and I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for worship this morning. And, and we are kicking off a brand new series called Great Joy. Great Joy. And this is a Christmas series for the next uh, three or four weeks. Uh, there's only three Sundays before Christmas, right? We're getting close. You got your shopping going. I hope you're almost done because we're almost there. But um, So we're going to be in... Luke chapter 1, and in this series, Great Joy, uh, we are going to look at different songs in the Christmas story. And so um, we'll get into that in just a minute. But uh, I do want to say, Miss Donna Torres spoke last week, and she did an excellent job, didn't she? And so can we just honor Donna as she brought the word last week, and we thank you so much. For doing that, and um, you know, she was brief in her sermon, and so don't get used to that now. We were out last week before 11 o'clock, and she spoiled you. So, uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 46 through 55. This is uh, Mary's song of praise, also known as the Magnificat. You ready to read? Are you there? Here we go. Mary's song, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he looked, for as he looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, he has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for the one who fears Him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for allowing us to gather today um, to hear from you. And I pray that that's what happens, God. I pray that your spirit moves. I already thank you that you are here. And uh, you have shown yourself evident in this room already this morning. And I pray that we'd continue to just lean into you and lean into your word and, and hear from you today. So I pray that you'd speak through me, God. I pray that we'd absorb all you have for us out of this song, this beautiful song of praise that Mary sang. Come have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we could use some joy, couldn't we? How many of you need a little joy? It's like this year has been rough. And... Uh, the Christmas series, the, the Christmas season is great because it gives us a moment to almost uh, slow down, maybe, or maybe you're speeding up, but take a moment to begin to get into some maybe family traditions and decorating and gifts and, and meals and all those things. But um, sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the Christmas ser uh, season that we, that we kind of forget what actually is going on what the reason for the season is. And, and so we need joy. Uh, I think all of us could use some joy. And how does joy express itself? 
uh, and singing, of course. Like you sing, you see somebody uh, going through town whistling and singing, right? What do you think? Man, that guy's pretty happy. That guy's, we even have a song about it, right? I got this joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. So you know it. We sing whenever we have joy. And what we're going to see in this series is these four different songs that were sung in the first two chapters of Luke in the story of Christ's birth. And the first one that presents itself to us is this one, um, Mary's song. And so in this season, as we are awaiting, remembering the coming of the Savior, the first coming of the Savior, we also anticipate with hope the second coming of the Savior. So that's what this season does for us. As we remember Christ's first coming, we anticipate His second coming. And, uh, and so Mary's song here, give me, I'm going to give you some context of this song. Um, so if you read earlier in chapter 1, Mary is uh, visited by an angel. Has that ever happened to you before? Me either, right? So this is already a unique story. Because this angel shows up to Mary and is like, hey, you're going to have a baby. Congratulations. And she's like, oh, really? Because, you know, I haven't, you know, ever done the thing. You know, I, I kind of know how babies come about and I've never, you know what I mean? And the angel's like, I know what you mean. I gotcha. This is going to be a special conception. Actually, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you are going to conceive and bear a son. You're going to, you're going to bear God's son. You can imagine all the emotion and thoughts and feelings that are going through Mary's mind at this moment. I mean, she's just an average teenage girl. She just got engaged, and now this angel is telling her she's going to bear the Messiah. So, the first thing she does is she runs to Aunt Liz's house. Okay, so she's like, Aunt Liz, you'll never believe what happened to me. Now, you gotta understand, Elizabeth, she had been visited, and 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 God had told them that they're going to bear a son. John, as you know, is John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. You're gonna bear a son. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. So Elizabeth had already had her experience with the Lord, and she was pregnant, and she was really old. And so she was having her own thing. So Mary runs up and is like, Aunt Liz, I got some news. Guess what's going on? And, and Elizabeth is like, yes, right on. Let's just read it in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went. So Jesus, she just got this news. She just found out she was pregnant. So she arose and went with haste into the hill country, into the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So Elizabeth is pregnant and the baby John leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is so interesting. You have Aunt Liz, she's in her 90s, and Mary is a teenager. 
she comes in and she's like, you're carrying my Lord. She already recognizes that Mary is carrying the Messiah. Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So she goes to Aunt Liz's house. Liz gives her this amazing greeting, an amazing blessing. And then Mary is so filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever never, you know, gotten a call on your life from the Lord? The Lord ever told you to do something and, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's something. I'm sure Mary's like this. She's like, okay, I think I got visited by an angel. Was that a dream? Was that a, was I seeing an alien? Like there was, there was some, I'm sure she had some doubts in her spirit. And just like you, when God tells you to do something that seemingly is kind of odd, it's helpful when you get confirmation from somebody else, isn't it? It's helpful and confirming whenever somebody else says, amen, I do believe that's what the Lord is calling you to do. And that's what is happening here. Elizabeth is confirming, yes, you are pregnant with the Lord, the Messiah. And so Mary's like, really? Like, it's just so joy-filled that she responds with praise. Uh, what we call the Magnificat. Um, this song that she sings has strong similarities to other songs in the Old Testament. One of them is um, David. You can uh, Charles Spurgeon put a parallel between David's song in Psalm 98 and this song, Mary's song. Um, a more popular one is Hannah's song out of 1 Samuel and Mary's song. And so I got actually a slide with a comparison to put these two together. And so in Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, it says, My heart exalts the Lord. I rejoice in thy salvation. And then Mary's song, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Hannah's song, There is none holy like the Lord. Mary's song, Holy is His name. Hannah's the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble girds on strength. Mary's song. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low decree. Hannah's song. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And Mary's song. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You can see the parallels here, and there's... 12 or so other passages that, that Mary's song references. What I want us to see here is that um, it's not that she was plagiarizing these Old Testament songs. It's that uh, the Word informed her worship. That it was the Word of God that inspired and informed the words that she would sing to the Lord. And uh, our, the Word should inform our worship. The more you know about God, the more you love God, the more you want to worship God, and the more accurately you can worship God. Jesus says, I have, I'm seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. That there should be truth. That whenever we proclaim worship and praise to the Lord, there should be, should be rooted and grounded in the truth of God's Word. And that's exactly 
uh, what Mary is doing. That's why whenever we pick songs here, we, we try to do our best and due diligence to study and make sure that the songs that we're going to proclaim as a congregation are grounded and rooted in the Word of God. That we're not just singing something that sounds good or feels good, that is actually biblically based and scriptural. So, this Word helps her to effectively worship the Lord, and she sings this beautiful song. And really the themes of this song are uh, glory, magnification, magnify, and uh, humility. So, so here's the um, main point of today's message. If you just um, end up falling asleep or you just have to run or something like that, you take this down, this is the main idea. That um, I humble myself by magnifying God. I humble myself by magnifying God. I make myself lower by making God higher. I make myself small by making God big. This is what we see right here. There's really three sections of this song. The first is the word of praise. Verse 46 says, um, so here's the words that she says in her praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, this term, magnificate, if it, maybe in my Bible it's just the title there. You know those titles aren't really inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those were added later to just give us some structure to the, to the way things flow here. But the magnificate here comes from the first word in the Latin translation of this song. Um, in the English, it means exalts. It means glorify or magnify. So magnificate is Latin for magnify. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And when I think of a magnifying glass, I have one right here. When I think of a magnifying glass, I think of um, like burning leaves. Is that what you think of? Like outside as a kid, like setting stuff on fire or, or ants. Not like setting ants on fire. That's not, maybe you did that. I'm just talking about looking at ants, right? And so what does a magnifying glass do? It may, like you take it and you're able to put it on something small and it makes your view of it a lot bigger. That's, that's this idea here. Um, the English uh, word magnify comes from the Latin word magnus, which means great or large. When we worship Christ, this is the idea, when we worship Christ, we are placing a proverbial magnifying glass over Christ. So we can see Him for greater and bigger and larger. So we can see the complexity of His goodness. So we can see Him more clearly, making His name great because He is great. That's the idea. We make much of Christ. We are to show others how great He is. And so, that's exactly what Mary's doing in her song. I'm, God, I'm going to magnify the Lord in my own heart, but then I'm going to help magnify the Lord in others' hearts. But um, I don't want us to get this idea that God is some little cute thing that we do Him a favor by magnifying Him and making Him big. That's not the idea here. It's actually even more like a telescope. When you telescope, you ever done, you know, look up in the night sky, it's just a bunch of speckles and 
you look up with a telescope. When I was a kid, we didn't, I didn't have a telescope. I had a pair of binoculars. So I'd sit, I'd sit up in the night sky in the yard, just looking in the sky with binoculars, okay? But you get the idea. You look up with a telescope to what is a speckle in the sky, but in reality, it is something that is bigger than our planet, and whenever you put a magnifying glass, whenever you put a telescope on it, what you're doing is you are beginning to see it for what it really is. That it is gigantic, but it's small in your eyes. And when you magnify it, it's becoming big in your eyes. That's the idea here. I see it for what it really is, and what it really is is huge. It's making much of God. Um, it's making much of God uh, because he's worthy. And so God is huge. We magnify him. We make him big in our own eyes, in our own life. But um, the problem is what we like to do is um, <laughs> we like to go around with a magnifying glass on us, don't we? It's like we like to go around and say, look how awesome I am. Let me tell you my best stories. Let me look so perfect on Instagram and make sure I look good. Make sure that I'm recognized for my efforts. Have you ever done this? You don't have to admit this right now publicly, but have you ever done this? Just be honest with yourself. You ask someone a question because you want them to ask you that question. It's like you go around asking, you got something really cool for Christmas, so you go around asking people, what'd you get for Christmas? And what you really want is them to ask you what you got for Christmas, so then you could share how awesome you are and how awesome your presents are. That's the problem. And God knows that. That's why he's linking this humility with this magnify. That I must become less and he must become great, that humility is turning the magnifying glass around. In our natural state, it's pointing at ourselves, but humility says, no, I'm going to magnify the Lord. I humble myself when I magnify God. This is exactly what uh, Mary does. Let's look back in verse 42, where Elizabeth gives this blessing to Mary. In verse 42, and she, this is Elizabeth, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so Mary receives all this blessing and praise from Elizabeth. And what does Mary do with it? She turns it around and she points it back at the Lord. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. She turns it around. And that's what we've got to be able to do. That's, what the, that's, that's this tension in the Christian life. Is, is all, Any praise that we receive, we've got to figure out a way to turn it around and point the praise back at the one who's deserving of all praise. I'm going to magnify the Lord. And then she rejoices, verse 47. She says... My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Rejoices. So rejoice is, um, so joy is on the inside. It's this deep-rooted supernatural delight in the person of God, the people of God, and the purposes of God. That's joy. It's deep down. 
And um, so rejoicing is, think of this, is re, like doing it again, joy. So joy is inside, rejoicing is getting it outside. Joy inside, rejoice outside. It's um, an outward expression of inward joy. God is big in my eyes. Now I'm going to help him be big in your eyes. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to help you see God as big. And then she goes on to say, My Savior, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My Savior. This is profound. Mary is worshiping the baby in her womb. What would it take to get you to worship your children? Right? You're just doing all you can to not kill your children. Mary is worshiping the child in her womb as her Lord and Savior, which is interesting here. Mary indicates here that she also needs salvation. That she is not sinless. See, there's really two views of, of Mary in the Christian faith. You have um, a, a high, overly high view of Mary. Let's consider her the uh, doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that she was actually sinless. Uh, therefore, we can pray to her to intercede between us and God and uh, and, and so she's on this other level of human being, almost being a deity herself. That's an overly high view of Mary. And then we have an overly low view of Mary, which is we, we don't really talk about her. We don't think much about her. We don't honor her. We just kind of, she was just another, you know, person in the story. And um, that neither of these extremes are right. The low view of Mary, look, it says right here, and I will be called blessed... From now on in all generations, they will call me blessed. She is the mother of our Lord. She was specially chosen to be honored and used in this way. So we should honor her and be grateful for her, um, but we should not worship her. There's one author that says this about this text. He says, um, Note that in the beginning of the Magnificat, by praising God my Savior, Mary answered the Roman Catholic dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which holds that from the moment of her conception, Mary was by God's grace kept free from all original sin. So that's an actual doctrine, is that Mary was sinless herself. But here, only sinners need a Savior. She says, I rejoice in God my Savior. So she sees herself as needing salvation. And so she magnifies the Lord. He's done great things. I'm going to rejoice in God my Savior. And then she reveals to us why she is worshiping. Why she is praising. The why of praise. Here it is in verse 49, uh, 48. I'm sorry. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Excuse me. Um, what she's saying here is he noticed me. She sees herself as low and humble. 
She's a poor peasant girl from the middle of nowhere. And uh, he's looked at me. He's noticed me. Have you ever met any of you, like, your, your, uh, any famous people? Have you ever met any famous people? What was that like? I, I got to meet uh, one of my favorite authors at a book signing. And I just remember it was kind of a surreal experience. It's like, man, I've looked up to this guy. I've admired him. I've esteemed him. I've wanted to, you know. And so, and then uh, I get to meet him in person. And it's like, whoa, this is cool, right? And uh, he noticed, like, he, he came to Mississippi for a book signing and called me by name and asked me about my life, right? And it was like, it was cool. He noticed me. You ever had that moment where you meet someone famous and you're like, I can't believe this is happening? For some reason, we place in our minds all these ranks of individuals. God says he's not a respecter of persons, but it's neither here nor there. The point here is that she's going, God of the universe, he's like the king of kings. He's running all the things. He's looked down at me. He noticed me. He cares about me. That's what she's saying. While he's big enough to rule the entire universe, he's caring enough to notice every detail about you. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows how fast your heart beats. He knows the dreams that you have for your life. He knows and he cares and he sees and he notices. Here we see he looked on the humble estate of his servant. That's important. You know, James says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That whenever you have pride trying to magnify yourself, you're an enemy of God. But when you humble yourself and put the magnifying glass on the Lord, he notices, he, he gives grace, he shows favor to you. So he's, she's like, he noticed me. And that's the thing about the whole Christmas story, isn't it? We kind of get wrapped up in a lot of these details, but the big idea is that God came to us. That God came, he visited us. He loved us. He, he noticed us and he cared enough to come and die and pay the price for our sin. This is huge. And then she goes on, to, so he noticed me and he blessed me. For behold, from now to all generations, they will call me blessed. He has blessed me. And this is true, isn't it? 2,000 years has passed, and we're still talking about this poor teenage girl from the middle of nowhere in some town in the Middle East. I'm preaching an entire sermon on a song that she wrote. From... That all generations have called Mary blessed. How do I get blessed like this? Well, how did Mary? Um, I think it's offer yourself to be used by God. Let's look back at verse 38. Um, so we didn't even touch on this yet, but this is whenever the angel uh, brought this news to Mary, and this is how she responded in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Mary's like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. But I'm available. I'm willing to be used. This is why we praise. Because He blessed me. Offer yourself up to be used by God. He wants to use you. 
You just have to be available. And she goes on to, He has done great things for me. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Now, I think whenever we think about this, we think about circumstances. When we think of blessings and he's blessed us, he's done great things, we think, um, man, I got a new car, I got a new job, I got a new house, I got a new iPhone. We think of all that kind of stuff. But you know what's interesting about this for her? Um, She says he's done great things for me while she still has no electricity. She has no car. She has no iPhone. She has no internet. She has no fridge. She has no Walmart. She has none of that. And, uh, and yet, her praise stems not from how great her circumstances are, but how great her purpose is. Isn't that right? Like, that he's done great things for me is that he is using me in his plan. He has given me a purpose. He's noticed me, he loves me, and he's using me in his plan to redeem the world. He's done great things. What we see is why, why is she praising Because of who God is, we're going to get to that in just a second, and what he's done. And right now she's covering, this is what he's done for me. This is the why of praise. Excuse me for one moment. Sorry. He's done great great things. And here's here's the reality. God wants to use you. God has a plan for you. He's not going to use you to birth the Messiah. I'm sorry, that's been taken. Okay, she's got that role. But he's got something for you too. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, um, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. He's like, I got plans for you. I got plans for you. I want you to be a part of the purpose, my plan for redeeming the world right now. And what does it take? Does it take being great? No, it doesn't. <laughs> we see Mary. She's like, I'm humble. I'm, I'm, got, I'm lowly. What is he doing choosing me? It takes being available. It takes saying, here, Lord, I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. Like, whatever you want to do, do it. But use me if you will. Why of praise? For what he's done. And then finally, the who of praise. Look at verse 49 again. So who is she praising? For he who is mighty, so she's praising the mighty one, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So she's praising the mighty one, saying holy is his name. Now holy means um, set apart. It means completely other. Like we like to think of like God as like a, a smarter nicer version of ourselves, but the reality is he's completely different. He's an entirely different being. And so he's completely, here it is, completely perfect. He's holy, she says, which should make us all tremble. Right? Because if, um, if he's holy and we're sinful, we should all be shaking in our boots. Like, um, holy plus sinful equals damning for us. <laughs> but she doesn't stop there. She goes on to say, um, he, holy is his name, and his mercy, here it is, is for those who fear him from generation 
to generation. See, holy without mercy is damning. That's for sure. We have no hope if we serve a holy God who's not merciful, but He is merciful. He is merciful for those who fear Him, she says. These are people who worship the Lord, who worship and honor and and revere the Lord. We see this in different people who didn't deserve anything but was given so much because of the mercy of the Lord. Just think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a terrible dude, man. Had no friends because no one liked him because he stole from everybody. He took advantage of people. He built his wealth by taking advantage of people. And um, no one liked him. But you know what? He sought the Lord and he repented. And, and Jesus says, a salvation has come to this house. Like he showed mercy to this guy who didn't deserve anything. But he feared the Lord. We see this throughout the life of Jesus. Prostitutes and drunks continually make their way to Jesus and fall at his feet, sobbing and repenting. He eats dinner with them and he hangs out with them for hours. And it's like he shows mercy to these people. Just think of the thief on the cross. Like he's being crucified, rightfully so, for his deeds. But he shows fear of the Lord and honors Jesus. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. What we see is that where men and women humbly bow themselves, no matter their past, God has an unbelievable amount of mercy for those people. He's merciful. We don't deserve His mercy, but He offers it freely. How many of you know the Word says uh, His mercies are new every morning? His mercy, that's good news, right? It's like, because I sin every morning, right? It's like, it's, I'm, always, I'm always messing up, and so I'm always needing the mercy of God, and so, bing, fresh mercies right out of the oven this morning. It's beautiful. And then he, she goes on. So he's merciful. So this mighty one, the holy one, so we're seeing why she's worshiping. This is who he is. For his mercy, for those who fear him from generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So she's talking about the power of the Lord here. She's like, he's powerful. Um, Uh, Isn't this an interesting visual she gives? Like the strength of his arm? If you uh, take, get your phone and you don't do it now, but if if you type in the word strong in your text message, what's the uh, suggested emoji? You know, it's this little, it's a strong arm, isn't it? And uh, if you go ask any young man, how strong are you? Let me just show you for just a minute. All you got to see is my arms and you'll know how strong I am. Right? It's this universal symbol for strength. I love that she uses this. Like you can go anywhere in the world and you all, and they know you're, you're demonstrating your strength, okay? And so she's like, he, he's strong. He, um, <laughs> this would have been a comforting thought for her uh, because, especially because Jews faced harsh um, leadership from other sects of Judaism, but also this Roman oppression that they were under. 
So they experienced all this oppression in their life. And and so the idea here is that God is powerful enough to take care of whatever is opposing me. He's big enough to take care of your biggest problem. That's what she's saying. (laughs) Mary, she is not a political analyst. She is a teenage girl. Uh, But somehow she knows God's going to take care of things. God's going to take care of that army that's been oppressing us. He is strong. He is powerful. What seems overwhelming in your life? What is the thing that's weighing you down? What is the problem that seems too big to get past? Hey, God is big enough. He's powerful enough to handle it. He's got a strong arm. He can take care of it, and he will in due time. Just see. Verse 52. He has brought low, uh, he's brought down the mighty. I'm sorry, let's keep going to verse 51. So he has shown his strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. So we see this. He's, he's exalting the humble, but he's scattering the proud. He is, verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their th- thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The, pr- the, uh, the idea here is justice, that God is just. That um, where it seems like, why are some people, they, they seem to succeed, but they're so wicked and, and, they, and they're so evil to people and they oppress so many people and take advantage of so many. How can they raise to the top? And, and I'm here, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I, say, I can never get ahead. And God's like, hey, hey, let me promise you something. Um, I'm going to take care of it. I am just. And so there's going to be a day where the scales are balanced and justice is served. And I'm going to bring low the mighty and I'm going to raise the lowly. That's what he's saying here. He's just. (laughs) The, The warning here is that you can humble yourself or you will be humbled. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. Humbling yourself is the better way to go. Just a little side tip there. But if you humble yourself, He will exalt you. We see this uh, over and over and over and over. If you humble yourself, He will exalt you. God is in the business of exalting and using the humble, the lowly. We see this in King David. And we think of this as Old Testament King David. We think of King David as king and Goliath and all those big mighty things that he did. Um, but where did he start? We go like, like rewind back to the beginning of David's story. And it started with a, a prophet going to pick the next king. And he going to Jesse's house, which is David's dad. And he's like, get your boys. One of them's the next king. And so he lines up all these boys. They didn't even invite David to the party. They didn't even invite him. He's out in the, he's the shepherd boy. He's the, he's the run of the family. He's out in the field. Don't worry about him. It can't be him. And of course, the prophet's like, no, the Lord says it's him. Go get him. Started humble, lowly, and God exalted him to the king of David. And whenever we think of Jesus, we think he is Jesus, the son of David. He's in the lineage of King David. And uh, he's exalted him. Uh, you have Moses, who's the murmuring herdsman. Right? He's uh, stuttering. He murdered somebody and then he ran off into the woods and he's a stuttering. But, you know, the Lord used him 
to one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. God used him to lead Israel out of slavery and, and into the promised land. Uh, you have Peter, who's a blue-collar redneck, so we can all relate to Peter. We'd probably get along with Peter. Um, God uses him to lead the church. He leads the movement. The first sermon after the Holy Spirit came, that was Peter. That was Peter. He exalts those of humble estate, those whose hearts are lowly before Him. He exalts them. We see this in Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is great news. It's great news. Because God can use mess-ups like us. Right? God can use us. God can take you from where you are and use you to do great things. This is who we praise. He's just, and He's equitable. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich He has sent away empty. He has filled the hungry. So this is, He's bringing equity here. He's filled the hungry with good things. Have you ever wondered this? Why doesn't God just feed all the hungry people? Like God, He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There's a lot of hungry people in the world. How come God doesn't just feed all the hungry people in the world? Have you ever wondered that? I know I have. I think it's because um, He wants to use you. He wants to use you to do that. Like God doesn't just want to you know, rain food from heaven. Like He likes to use people to accomplish His purposes. And He's like, okay, there's hungry people in the world. Guess what? I've got a church. I've got my people. They've got my spirit. They've got my desires. They've got my heart. Great. Go feed hungry people. That's exactly what we did this last Thanksgiving. We did this Thanksgiving box project, and, uh, and we put together, KK led this thing, praise the Lord. We put together this box of food for hungry families in our, I'm talking about like a, like, like a, like a box of food. Like we can just give them a turkey and some sides. I mean, there was everything you needed in there to have an amazing Thanksgiving lunch. Dessert and pound of sugar and I don't know what else was in there. Sweet tea and a turkey and rolls and a side, all types of good stuff. If you got this box, you were blessed. And last year, we've we've been doing this for just a couple years now. And last year, we were able to help six families, which is huge for us. We helped six families last year. This year, seventeen families. Seventeen families. That's over. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's over seventy people. Who, like God is like, hey, my people, go see hungry people. If you see hungry people, feed them. He fills the hungry, but he chooses to do that through you. And praise the Lord for you. And I just want to say, hey, um, some of you gave some offering towards that, but that's not really, we didn't raise enough money to do that. It's because of your consistent generosity. This year, we haven't been able to have some of the main festivals that we normally have, which means we had some extra money to go bigger on some other things. And that, that Thanksgiving box project was one of them. And so just because of your consistent generosity to the ministry here at Bayou Tala, we're able to spend $1,000 or so to go and feed all these families. Uh, so I just want to thank you. Thank you for your consistent faithfulness and giving. But um, he's like, feed people. But he doesn't just feed us physically. 
He's not just concerned with our physical. He feeds us spiritually. That's why in Matthew 5, 6, it says, Jesus speaking, He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's like if you're hungry for the things of God, I'm going to satisfy that spiritual hunger. He is satisfying. He's like that country mama who's always asking you, to, like she's wanting you to get seconds and thirds and fourths, right? She's not content until she's rolling you out of the building, right? She's like, come on, baby, get you some more. You know that? Maybe you are that person, right? And, uh, and that's, that's God. He's like, look, if you come to me hungry, oh boy, I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to be satisfying. So come. Come to me. Seek me. Hunger after me. And I'll fill you up. He fills the hungry. He fills the hungry. And then the last point here is that he's reliable. Verse uh, 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What he is... uh, Speaking of here, he has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So what she's saying here is that God made a promise to Abraham um, about this Messiah that would come and, and save his people. And throughout the Old Testament, he kept making these promises about this Messiah. But it seemed like he had forgotten. Before Mary is on the scene, there was what we know of 400 years of silence between the last prophet that spoke for the Lord and when this angel showed up to Mary. 400 years. Started making them think, um, God made some promises. He must have forgotten about them. So whenever this angel shows up to Mary, she goes, You've remembered. You're reliable. You're faithful. You are a promise keeper. You've remembered the promises that you've made to your people Israel and to Abraham and his offspring forever. Have you ever had somebody break a promise? That hurts, doesn't it? God doesn't break His promises. And what we do in the Christmas story is look back at what he's done. He kept his promise. And we can look back at his keeping of his promise to come once as full assurance that he's going to keep his promise to come again. And that's what we look towards and long for is that he's coming back. We can look back in Christmas and see his fulfilled promise to come once. And we can look forward with expectant hope that he is faithful to fulfill his promise and come again. Even when God, even when it seems like God has forgotten all about us, he is not, nor will he. So uh, I think sometimes we live on a short time frame and we're like, God, you forgot about this promise you made to me. And he's like, give it time. Give it time. I'm coming again. And if you start to doubt, if you start to forget, if you start to wonder if I forgot about coming again, because right now that's kind of what we're wondering, right? Okay, it's been 2,000 years. How long are you waiting 
2,000 years ago, you said, I'm coming soon. And we're like, when's that going to happen? And he's like, you're going to be tempted to think I've forgotten my promise. Rest assured, I fulfilled my promise when I came in, in Christmas. You can rest assured that I'm a promise keeper and I'm coming back. So let me just ask you this. Um, how will you magnify the Lord in your life? Because we humble ourselves by magnifying the Lord. That's the whole idea here. The words of praise. I magnify the Lord. I rejoice in the God, my Savior. He has saved me. The why we praise, because He has done great things for what He's done and then for who He is. He's holy, He's merciful, He's powerful, He's just, He's equitable, He's reliable. How will you magnify the Lord in your life? How will you magnify the Lord in this season? It's Christmas season. You're going to go shopping maybe, go see some friends or some family. How can you intentionally magnify the Lord in your circumstance? In a, in a Charlie Brown Christmas, have you seen that movie? In Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown gets frustrated with, uh, <laughs> with the over-commercialization of the Christmas season. You, you, feel, you feel his tension maybe? And um, he struggles with what the true meaning of Christmas is. Uh, he's finally reminded that it's about Christ, that um, it's not about all the stuff, as nice as stuff can be, and it's not about all the traditions, as fun as all the traditions can be. These things are nice, but the, they're meaningless compared to the real reason for Christmas. That is the person of Jesus. And uh, we're to make him big, not us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these moments we're able to share in your word and, and just, ah, God, just be so blessed by, by this song that you put on the heart of Mary. I pray that we would be uh, encouraged and inspired and challenged by it, that we would live our lives magnifying you, Lord. That it be less of me and more of you. That we can be confident that you use everyday normal people like us. And I pray that we just be willing and open and available for your purposes. I pray that when people see our lives, not just here in church on Sundays, but when people view the patterns of our lives, that they would see a magnifying glass on the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord. By your Spirit, walk in this. In Jesus' name.